This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, November 20th, 2008. I'm Caleb Brown. The subprime crisis and the resulting financial crisis begs the question, whose fault is it? Can rules in financial markets effectively deal with human nature anyway? Bert Ely has been sounding the alarm for years about risks posed by Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae. He's currently president of Ely & Company. He was among the speakers at the Cato Institute's Monetary Conference held yesterday. Properly understood, what uh, what should be the role of rating houses in trying to help investors price assets, and why has that system broken down? The, the problem with the the rating agencies today is that uh, because of the First Amendment protections they enjoy, uh, specifically where they are paid by the issuer of the security, uh, they're too easily seduced into um, providing uh, good ratings. Uh, ratings that have turned out to be excessively high on excessively complicated securities that no one really uh, understands how they'll perform. And so my thesis is if the uh, rating agencies could be sued for negligence in situations where they've been paid by the issuer, that uh, either they would go broke very fast or what would happen is that they would pull back and not and simply just not rate uh, complex uh, securities securitizations because uh, they just uh, wouldn't want to take the risk of doing so. They couldn't be paid enough fee to take the risk uh, to do so. And I think that would do a lot to help clean up, if you will, the securitization marketplace. Uh, in Anna Schwartz's paper, she talked about some of the lessons of the uh, subprime crisis. And one of the things that she mentioned was we should not uh, be seduced by financial innovations that have not been tested. Well, how do we get financial innovations that are tested? A lot of financial innovations are essentially um, regulatory arbitrages. And what technology has done, both in terms of computer technology as well as uh, evolving mathematical quantitative techniques, has uh, enabled um, the uh, the financial engineers and, and the lawyers to come up with more sophisticated ways around and through uh, regulation. So a lot of this innovation is really... Um, uh, nothing more than, than regulatory arbitrage. A question that, that I raise as I think about this more and more, and that is, is there really anything that is new and innovative in finance? And I'm increasingly skeptical of what I would call true innovation as versus uh, regulatory arbitrage innovation. Given human nature and the fact that regulatory structures are not keeping pace with financial uh, innovations, however defined, is it possible to design rules that can effectively deal with human nature? Uh, no, I think that um, instead of trying to corral human behavior and restrain it, it's a much better approach is to try and recognize uh, how humans are going to act in, in social systems and then establish uh, rules and laws that uh, essentially don't try to, to frustrate that uh, human tendency, but instead to try and channel it in a way that when people are acting in their own self-interest, that also is in society's self-interest. This is why it's important to uh, have uh, uh, policies and rules in place that then in the, in the interest of trying to align uh, personal and corporate self-interest with societal self-interest, basically uh, trigger uh, 
counteractions and self-correcting mechanisms before things uh, get uh, too far out of hand. And the problem we have today is uh, the existing rules and regulations tend to magnify um, uh, extremes rather than uh, set in place uh, counteracting uh, corrective mechanisms. Part of the discussion uh, was also about recognizing political realities and trying to uh, craft these types of rules. But we've had decades where, uh, for instance, the home mortgage deduction is something that simply uh, is not going to go away no matter what problems it causes structurally in the United States. Well, um, I think that, uh, you know, first of all, other countries don't have uh, the home mortgage interest deduction, Canada being one. And I think that what we have to do is start having a debate over it and an understanding of the distorting effect that that uh, deduction uh, has on home prices and on the incentives to homeowners. Unless we at least start to debate it and acknowledge it, hey, this is a problem, then we're never going to make any progress in uh, moving away from it. So we have to take it uh, head on, as well as all these other government subsidies for home ownership, including, for instance, uh, proposals that are floating around right now to provide a one-time tax credit to first-time home buyers and so forth. All that does is perpetuate the problem of incenting people to get into home ownership where they they shouldn't they don't have the financial capability to be a homeowner or to uh, uh, get into a larger home than they can comfortably afford. You point out that the mortgage interest deduction is a key uh, issue factor here. Was it a factor in in fueling overconsumption? And uh, once people were able to take out home equity loans, fueling overconsumption by consumers? Well, it, it certainly uh, is, is a factor. One of the things that uh, uh, one notices, if you go back uh, uh, just even uh, uh, 20 years ago, we had a savings rate uh, savings rate of for individuals of around 10%. It's now essentially down to uh, to zero. Um, homes for a long time were viewed as something that you would build equity and over time you'd pay the the mortgage down. Uh, in recent years, they became the, uh, you know, in effect, uh, the ATM machine. Because what happened in 1986, and 86, as I now see, was a really critical year, was the year that Congress barred uh, interest deductions by individuals and families for anything other than home mortgage interest. And so what happened is uh, the home became, and the home mortgage became the tax-favored way to borrow uh, money. And particularly when home prices were, were appreciating and going up, then uh, you would have a situation where people would borrow out more and more money in a tax-favored uh, way. But in effect, ended up over-leveraging their homes. And now that the price, and all this happening while a price bubble is emerging in homes, and now we have a situation where uh, home prices are coming down, but the debt burden is uh, still there and very difficult to work off, which means that even as home prices come down, uh, people end up being underwater because they can't work down the mortgage debt that fast, if at all. Now, let me just uh, say, say one other thing, too, and that is with regard to uh, corporate tax structures, that uh, we have a tax code both in terms of the taxation of equity capital relative to, uh, to debt capital that incents uh, organizations acting in a very rational, self-interest uh, way of relying 
to a, a greater extent on debt capital and to a lesser extent on equity capital than would be the case if we would have the reverse situation where, for instance, uh, profits earned on corporate equity capital were not taxed and interest was a non-deductible non uh, business expense of corporations. What we do in this country is we subsidize uh, over-leveraging, we subsidize overconsumption and uh, penalize uh, or if you will, under, uh, uh, let me start that again. We, we, um, uh, uh, we subsidize uh, overconsumption and undersaving. And consequently, we end up uh, with uh, a lot of highly indebted folks and for the country as a whole, uh, increasingly the world's largest debtor nation. Bert Ely is president of Ely & Company. We spoke at the Cato Institute's Monetary Conference, Lessons from the Subprime Crisis, held yesterday. This is the Cato Daily Podcast. You can watch full videos of the conference at Cato.org.